בשיר, 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 בשיר וכל תודה. בשיר, 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 בשיר וכל תודה. בשיר וכל תודה, נברך ללוקנו על ארץ חמדה טובה שהנהלה אבותינו מזון ואיזה דהיז נהיה לנפשנו אז לא גבר עלינו באמת השם.
Shabbos, I'll be in Havana. 
Come on. 
JM in the AM. Whole bunch of great material in hour number one. That's Boy of Shalom done by Eitan Katz. Uh, before that, you heard you did Nefesh. Uh, you heard Menucha Simcha, Baruch Kel Elyon. A whole bunch of stuff from the Zmiros All Star CDs. Yom Zemachubad Karibon, Tzur Mishalo, Mayedidus. A whole bunch of great selections uh, here on a Friday morning broadcast. Uh, hour number one complete, and this is America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmtheam.org, and of course on the NSN app. We have our weekly update coming up later on. Malcolm Holmline will join us, and we will discuss the news of the week. That's coming up about 7.40 Eastern Time this morning here at JM in the AM. Uh, I want to remind everybody that it's Erev Shabbos Parshas Toldos, right? <laughs> I believe so. Candle lighting, here's a really important reminder, 4.20 is candle lighting time. 4.20 is candle lighting time, a whole bunch earlier than it was a couple of weeks ago. So be careful on this Erev Shabbos. Eskali Tzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast, next to Jamie. הקרב על תקציב המדינה, הפגישה בין יושב ראש שעשה, שר אריה דרעי ושר האוצר כחלון, הסתיימה ללא תוצאות ממשיות. כתבנו עידו בן בג'י. בהודעה שפרסמה לשכת דרעי נכתב כי הושגה התקדמות במגעים בין דרעי לכחלון בעניין דרישת שס לקבוע מעם אפס על תחבורה ציבורית לכלל האוכלוסייה ועל מים לשכבות החלשות. השניים קבעו לשוב ולהיפגש במוצאי שבת כדי להכריע בסוגיה עד יום ראשון. משטרת איטליה תגברה את ההבטחה סביב המוסדות היהודיים במילאנו לאחר שהלילה נדקר ביהודי בלבוש חרדי. כתבתנו נועם דהן. היהודי נדקר סמוך למסעדה כשרה בעיר ומצבו קל. התוקפים עדיין לא נעצרו ומשטרת איטליה חוקרת אם התקיפה הייתה על רקע אנטישמי. נורך החשש הוחלט לדגבר את ההבטחה סביב אתרים יהודיים במילאנו. קטין תושב יהודה ושומרון מואשם שתקף את מנכ״ל רבנים לזכויות אדם. כתבנו איתמר קציר. הקטין בן 17 מאיתמר מואשם בחבלה חמורה בנסיבות מחמירות. על פי כתב האישום הוא תקף את נשיא רבנים למען זכויות אדם, הרב אריק אשרמן, איים עליו בסכין, ידע לעברו אבנים והיכה אותו. בחיפושים שנעשו בביתו של הקטין נמצאו 44 קליעים. עורך דינו של הנאשם, איתמר בן גביר, אמר בתגובה לכתבנו ענבל תמיר, הפרקליטות משמשת כעושה דברו של השמאל הקיצוני. מדובר בפרובוקציה של אשרמן, לשון בן גביר. תחזית מזג האוויר, התחממות, מחר התחממות נוספת. ולסיום, כלב ים, ממין נדיר ביותר, נצפה באזור עכו וראש הנקרא. כתבתנו יערה שפירא. כלב ים נזירי, ים תיכוני, נצפה משעות הבוקר בסמוך לחופי ראש הנקרא. מדובר באחד היונקים הימיים הנדירים ביותר בעולם, ועל פי ההערכות נותרו ממנו כיום כ-500 פרטים בלבד. בפעם האחרונה נצפה כלב ים מהסוג הזה בארץ, לפני קצת יותר מחצי שנה. אלה החדשות שעורך יותם ברגר בצוות בת רווה ועידן סדרס.
In the AM, 18 minutes after 7 o'clock. Good morning, Erev Shabbos. Friday morning, it's Rosh Chodesh morning here at JM in the AM. On this Friday, November the 13th, the first of Kislev, it's Rosh, excuse me, it's Rosh Chodesh Kislev 5776. On this Erev Shabbos, Parsha's Toldos, candle lighting at 420 on this Erev Shabbos. 420 is official candle lighting time, and again, I remind you, I don't want to say I warn you, but I remind you that um, it is extremely early, this candle lighting. Yeah, much earlier than we're used to over the last few weeks. Well, you know, last week, you know what I mean. So just be careful out there getting where you need to get to Erev Shabbos. 420 is candle lighting time on this Erev Shabbos. 55 degrees outside with 57% humidity. Winds are west at 13 miles per hour. Today's forecast, partly cloudy, windy, and a high temperature of 57 Tonight, clear skies, a low 41. Tomorrow, mostly sunny, a high 49 degrees. Wow. 72 and sunny in Yerushalayim. We're at 55 here on a Friday morning. Erev Shabbos, Rosh Chodesh at JM in the AM. Uh, we'll do our weekly update coming up. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He will join us for the weekly update about 7.40 this morning here at JM in the AM. Uh, that'll be happening, uh, well, just about 20 minutes from now. By the way, you can hear the entire weekly update within minutes in the archive section of our app. Uh, yeah, within minutes in the archive section of our app. So just, uh, you know, all you gotta do is, uh, head to the NSN app and basically you're all set. You could hear it within minutes of its completion. Uh, Rabbi Yudin, of course, coming up. We'll wrap things up at 9 o'clock. Uh, Naomi has a great show coming up at 9. We'll give you details about that. Kedem presents our incredible Arab Shabbos music mix all through the day. That'll go until candlelighting time. Best way to prepare for Shabbos. Great weekend programming. Matas with a special guest on Sunday. We'll tell you all about that. Lots going on on a Friday morning broadcast here at JM in the AM. Thanks for keeping it here at 91.1 FM. Did I tell you that that was Ohad? I don't even know if I told you it was Ohad. Uh, you just heard Ohad. Uh, with the uh, Segula selection, title track to that album. Rebine was Avremo, Avram Freed, opening things up uh, after our newscast from Israel. And um, that is his brand new single that everyone seems to be enjoying very, very much. And, of course, for good reason. 
Uh, thanks for keeping it at 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills, Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM dial. Around the world on the web, it's jmtheam.org and of course on the NSN app.
Waking up, I'm living life, going places, so much strife. Starting to think about what's gonna be. Who knows, who cares, who dares to share a bit of what you feel inside. Open up a little trust, cause we're all family.
Nice selection of Shalom Aleichem. First, uh, well, not first, but most recently from uh, Yisrael Juskowitz. Before that, Benny Friedman. You heard the Yoel Sharabi one in there. Hold On came from the uh, Waterbury Stay With Me CD. And Leviathan had Bowie Shalom here on a Friday morning. Rosh Chodesh morning at JM in the AM. That's right. It's Rosh Chodesh Kislev. Welcome to an Erev Shabbos Parshas Toldos with candle lighting at 4.20 on this era of Shabbos. 4.20, your official candle lighting time. It's pretty early. I think it's even earlier where Malcolm is. I'm not kidding. Yeah, we can find that in a minute. I think it's even earlier where he is. 4.20, well, yeah, Jerusalem. It has to be earlier. You got that extra time. Anyway, um, uh, 4.20, lots of uh, lots of people are not used to this yet because we're on standard time for the uh, only the last couple of weeks, so please be extra careful on era of Shabbos uh, regarding the... Uh, Candle lighting time. Let us make sure to be extra careful. I mentioned earlier we have amazing programming, of course, on our stream all day long. Great programming, which we'll go through for. I just want to mention that Matis is hosting again JM Sunday Live this coming Sunday. Does an amazing job each week. He'll be on between uh, 7 and 9 a.m. Eastern time on our stream at jmnam.org and on the NSN app. Matis this Sunday will have special guest Stephen Peace. Stephen Peace is author of the book, The Debate Over Jewish Achievement. The Debate Over Jewish Achievement. Now, that's a fascinating topic. What's more fascinating is I don't think Stephen Peace is Jewish, <laughs> which makes it even more fascinating. 
Uh, he's Matis's guest, 8 o'clock hour this coming Sunday. Make sure to be tuned in. Wake up with JM Sunday every single Sunday and tune in from around the world on jmnam.org and, of course, on the NSN app. Big shout-out to our friends at jewishworldview.com with thousands of articles to print out before Shabbos to be informed about what's happening in this amazing world of ours. Big thank you to our friends at onlysimplas.com. Onlysimplas.com is not only... Uh, utilizing our is not only utilizing our content to um, entertain and inform its audience, its readers, but they are uh, they are heralding our Jewish Unity Initiative, which now is going, as you know, to uh, Paris, France, <clears throat> Hanukkah five seven seven six. Something we've spoken about extensively this week. In fact, it's possible that we'll have another big announcement and a special guest today regarding that event. If not, then certainly at the beginning of next week. Uh, but I thank OnlySimplas.com for hopping on that bandwagon, a very important one, as we uh, take our Jewish unity initiative that we've developed over these 30 years, 30-plus years, and extend it for the first time uh, to the continent of Europe. And there'll be plenty more about that coming up right here at JM in the AM. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Don't forget that the uh, weekly update is available in its uh, entirety in the NSN app, in the archive section of the weekly update, uh, minutes after the conclusion of this segment with Malcolm Honline. So uh, keep that in mind. If you miss any of it, for whatever reason, maybe it's a long davening today after all Trosh Chodesh. You're missing part of the show. There you go. You have the NSN app. Problem solved. Malcolm Honline is live in Jerusalem, Israel. He is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of major American Jewish organizations and joins us for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Shalom, Yerushalayim. Shalom to you. Uh, describe it for us, Ma- Malcolm. Obviously, uh, there's great concern. The collective Jewish heart, especially if this audience, is always pointed to Jerusalem. We're wondering how our brothers and sisters are doing. Give us your assessment uh, since you've landed. Hotels are packed. The uh, streets are not, but there are, there are plenty of people around. There are groups around. There are a lot of simchas being celebrated here. The weather is beautiful, and I hope people will come. Don't give in. This is, uh, you know, again, it's very isolated, the attacks, and it's, you don't sense that there are troops all over the streets and, and people to, to uh, and, you know, guarding the uh, different locations. There's a greater sense of awareness and heightened state of alert, no doubt. But that's all. That's all is right. And hopefully the simple message of making sure to keep those trips that are on everyone's calendar and schedule there, hopefully that message will resonate and come through. Okay, we know what happened this week. There was a meeting between the Prime Minister and the President of the United States in the White House. I know that in terms of the meeting reviews, it seems this memo of understanding that you've described to us, the renewal of it, was a major focus. And we'll get to that in a second because I have a couple of questions on it. But but you know what else was on the agenda? Do you know what other topics were covered between the President and the Prime Minister? Well, obviously Iran was uh, the primary issue and the growth of their aggressive activities in the region. The situation in Syria was occupied a very big part of, of the discussion and of course, you know, the Danger to Israel's borders and what America will do, and, and the increasing American role in, in these countries, including in Iraq. The um, big issue was the, the memo memorandum of understanding, which is the next ten years of American aid, military aid. As you know, there was an MOD, uh, a memo, MOU, a memo of understanding that governed the 
$3 billion that Israel got each year right. in, in military aid. They do not get economic aid anymore. And now they're looking, because it will expire in a few months or next year, that they will, they're looking now for a commitment that will carry over and that they sign an agreement uh, the reports are that it's up to five billion. Yeah, but let, let's start. Let's start with that for let's 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 start with that for a second because it always seemed to me that this contribution, this investment that the United States would make in Israel, was sort of a set amount each time. Is this unusual for Israel to make this pitch for an increase, or it always goes on? No, it's only well the ten years were fixed, and the next ten years will be fixed at this at whatever amount is agreed upon. But because of the changes in the aftermath of the Iran deal and the fact that tens of billions of dollars can be released by them for Hezbollah Hamas, the increasing weapon supply that's going on, the changing situation in, in Syria and Lebanon, all of these increase the burden on Israel. So the mm-hmm. aid will be reflective of the new realities. Uh, and once it's negotiated, that carries for it. That doesn't mean that Israel and the United States don't reach other understandings like they did for Iron Dome, where money was allocated for the joint research by both countries that resulted in Iron Dome and David Sling. Right. Um, it, it seems that, unless I'm reading the wrong news sources, it seems everything went relatively smoothly. Smoothly. Uh, no slightings, no, uh, no, uh, you know, uh, no protocol uh, violations when it came to this meeting between the Prime Minister and the President. Uh, with that in mind, assuming in fact it did go smoothly, should we assume that the talk regarding Iran went smoothly, and even though they completely disagreed, obviously, about the Iran deal, still there is a strong measure of cooperation between these two leaders when it comes to what Iran could do potentially in the region? Well, that's not clear because we don't know what happened in the meeting when these discussions took place. Clearly, both sides now have to focus and and work together, hopefully, on the implementation. We're seeing that Iran is moving in the wrong direction even since the meeting and, and certainly before it with the missile launch for which there has not been accountability and I'm sure that the Prime Minister raised that, that, that there's been no price to pay in the message that that uh, sends. But they also announced this week that they're not dismantling any centrifuges and I hear that they never did. It's not that they're stopping. It's mm-hmm. Benny Hoyer, the Democratic whip of the House and others have put out statements attacking them over there reneging on the commitments and not living up to the expectations. The question is what what price will be paid? And when we see um, that Rouhani, the president, the quote, moderate president right. of Iran, <laughs> demands that U.S. apologize and for everything is done and then, and correct their, their uh, mistakes and, and take steps that they outline, plus the nine things that Khamenei has demanded, uh, of the United States, it's clear that they are trying to either both satisfy some of the domestic forces, but more importantly, is it raises the question of whether they have any intention of living up to the agreement. Right. And it was believed that that was unlikely before. Now, I think good reason to um, to have consideration, and the IEA has to give a report on the findings of whether they're in compliance by December fifteenth. And uh, and Khamenei himself getting involved, talking about these nine preconditions uh, before they adopt them, and others saying that they will never dismantle anything. And really, uh, he should have evoked a much different response. To go to the first question, the optics 
of the meetings were very good, is the, the joint statements and everything. Right. But there was a two-hour meeting. There were a lot of issues. Some pay, some newspapers report that they were more tense, others say less. But it's clear that at least the perception, which is equally important about how countries in the region view the strength of the U.S.-Israel relationship. Right. That's true. And, and I guess in that regard, there's no reason to suspect that it, it wasn't a good impression, right? That it, right. Okay. Now, um, essentially, what you're saying regarding Iran, and meaning in terms of the United States discussion with Israel this week, we don't know what happened in the meeting. Would you bet, would you conjecture, because you know more about this than any of us, that there is still an attitude of, we'll have your back, or we got your back, if, God forbid, you know, Iran acts up in an irresponsible way, or we're not at that stage yet in these discussions where the United States or its leader are ready, is ready to make that type of commitment even privately to the Prime Minister? Well, the President made it publicly, and he's made some pretty good statements, uh, strong statements in this regard, and also in regard to um, the stabbings and violence for the first time, they didn't equate, they didn't say, you know, both sides must. He, was, he issued a very strong condemnation of, uh, of the incitement of the activities that the, the Palestinian attacks against uh, Israel, which is should be the norm, it shouldn't be the exception, uh, and hopefully we'll see other leaders follow suit, quite the opposite of what we are seeing now, and, and especially with the European action this week. Yeah. Um, so, the the question is whether or not whether they have Israel's front They're back, but we want to see them have Israel's front. Right. And that means to be out front in, in the message about what will, will be tolerated and not tolerated. The Prime Minister certainly raised the question of the Russians bombing, getting closer to the Israeli border, what it means for the Iranians, the uh, IRGC, Basijis, others um, being near Israel or coming into the Golan area. Some of the uh, aspirations that they um, uh, have expressed about taking the Golan, and there are reports that the prime minister may have raised the Golan and talked about extending Israeli sovereignty. I, I, I for one, doubt that that was in fact what uh, he discussed. Yeah. I'm sure, they discussed security in the Golan. Yeah, I'm going to get back to the Golan in a second. I want to ask you on the memo of understanding. So somebody has to go from the U.S. to Israel to assess the security needs, right, at this point. In other words, he makes the pitch, the Prime Minister, and now a representative from the U.S., or many, I don't know if it's a committee, you could tell us, goes and, from what I read, assesses the security needs. This is not simply relying on what Israel tells them. They go and investigate. Is that how it works? There, well, there is a joint committee that meets regularly throughout the year, joint political military group uh, that, that deals with it. But, yes, uh, you, you know that the, the uh, head of the um, Joint Chiefs of Staff was there, the chairman. The others have been there over the last few weeks. There's a constant, ongoing process. The level of military exchange is, is very high. The number of joint visits, the number of meetings in Washington and, and in, in Israel, all of which are geared to assessing what Israel's immediate and uh, longer-term needs uh, would be and, and what the U.S. could do and what Israel has to do what right. so that the uh, U.S. announced that the fleet, this fleet off of uh, Iran is equipped now with uh, laser weapons that can take down uh, planes and UAVs or small attack boats and other things that uh, the, Syrians, the Iranians have been using and also that they're going to increase the, the fleet in the Gulf region from 30 to 40 ships over the next uh, what, uh, to the five years to 2020 or so. Wow. Uh, these are all very positive messages, right. obviously, and the president's comments, I think, were 
uh, well accepted by Israel. Uh, last thing about the meeting di- about the visit to the United States directly, uh, there was a um, uh, there was a uh, a concerted effort uh, on the part of the Prime Minister in his office to reach out to certain groups, especially in light of the Iran deal. He met with the Center for American Progress specifically to you know reach out to those who may not agree with him on everything. Let's put it that way, and to ease tension that may have arisen from the Iran deal. Battle. Any idea if that outreach this week was successful? The outreach to to the progressive groups, to those who don't always normally agree oh, with well, him. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, I think that it uh, that he did a very courageous thing going to to the center, uh, which is known as a progressive place, a liberal place, and he was questioned there. He handled it very well. Uh, he also went to AEI, which is a more conservative place. Right. Which he also spoke very effectively. I do think it sends a positive message, and it shows, number one, he's not afraid to address all audiences in the United States, too, that it appeals to that very important constituency, which we could loosely describe as the Democratic left, where support for Israel is much lower than the center and uh, certainly than on the right. So I think on all counts that that was a positive message. And when the President Obama comes out and, and uh, speaks as he did, that also sends a positive signal. There will always be those who will attack and who will criticize and, you know, some of the really ridiculous news coverage that we saw again this week of, of uh, the visit. Uh, I think overall, though, the, that is a positive message. Yeah, I mean, it, it could have been, not just in, in optics, it could have been a total failure in general. And I think you have to say that, uh, based on what you just told us, that it's a thumbs up. At least it went well. Simple as that. It went well. well they worked very hard to make sure... That it went well. Both it's in both sides' interests. It's also his interest in maybe political interest at home. It's in the president's interest. Congress wants to see the issue. We want to see Israel being sustained as a bipartisan issue. Not good if it's seen as uh, one party or the other being primarily associated with Israel. Uh, I think on all those counts, uh, that that situation was uh, served uh, over these days. Malcolm Holmline, live from Jerusalem. BB says this week. There are a few public statements that he made vis-a-vis uh, Iran and Syria. Uh, took the opportunity, I assume, because of his visit to, to make his position clear on these things. First of all, he said he will not allow Iran to set up a front against Israel in Syria. Now, frankly, couldn't we say at this point to some degree that Iran, maybe not versus Israel, because maybe that's he's being very specific, but essentially they have already set up a front in Syria? You could, and they're talking about bringing in tens of thousands of Basijis. They're talking about other uh, support from us uh, through Hamas uh, Hezbollah troops and others. But I think what he's referring to is the direct threat right. against uh, Israel right. from the Golan and, and along the Lebanese border, where Hezbollah is obviously based. But the Iranians have talked about um, increasing the attacks on, on the Golan, calling on the forces there to do so. We know that the, they have been very present and uh, lost the general there and others over recent months. Uh, they have had other losses, by the way, in in the fighting in uh, Syria as well. But I think he was specifically talking about something that, that targets um, the, Israel's uh, southern border, northern border right. particularly, and the fighting having encroached in that area gives them good reason to be concerned. Yeah, understood. So, so, uh, so soldiers up there would not necessarily agree with me that that front already exists, as dangerous as it is, and, and watching the buildup that you've described over the last few weeks, they still wouldn't necessarily say that that Iranian front against Israel is already in place in Syria. 
right. Okay. The intent is there, right. but I don't think that you could say that there's a, a physical setup that uh, they, they and, and as I pointed out, they've made various attempts at, at it. All right. Uh, it's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmtheam.org and on the NSN app. And remember, minutes after this conversation ends, you can get the entire conversation in its entirety in the, uh, NS, in the uh, weekly update section of the archive section of the NSN app. He also said, the Prime Minister, he will not allow a weapons flow from Iran through Syria, or even from Syria itself, to Hezbollah in Lebanon, obviously was his, uh, uh, was his intent, was what he was referring to. Again, to the casual observer, it seems that this is already happening, <laughs> and it's already in place, and he will not allow it. That's great, but he has allowed it for quite a long time. Am I right that weapons flow does continue from Iran to Hezbollah through Syria? Well, there are a lot of horses out of that barn, and there has been uh, a buildup, of, you know, as you know, 100,000 missiles already in Hezbollah right. territory and probably much more and getting more sophisticated guidance systems for them. Uh, but it are reports that Israel hit an area right outside the Damascus airport. Israeli claims that is that likely was a transshipment point for weapons going to Syria or uh, from Syria to Hezbollah. We know that every day two Russian fly, uh, planes bring in Iranian weapons. Uh, we fear that much of it could go north. Israel will do everything possible to to prevent it. Um, and other countries also have an interest in seeing to it that this is stopped. If you see the Saudi-Iranian tensions are increasingly increasing pretty heavily, and um, the, the, the rivalry within, especially expressed in the talks, where you see Iran and Russia um, versus Saudi Arabia, backed by Qatar, the U.S., uh, most Europeans, uh, but also the, the uh, UAE, etc. So um, Israel is constantly on the alert because every shipment that goes north of uh, the border into Lebanon potentially will find its way against Israel. That's why it's just, I mean, for me to say this is such chutzpah, because what do I have to do with the situation? But, you know, I'm not going to advise the prime minister, but it's sometimes, and I think you've alluded to this also, it's just sometimes a little frustrating when there's a lot of tough talk and what they're referring to in that tough talk not only is going to happen and potentially could happen, but a lot of it has happened already. And it's sort of like, you know, it, 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 how seriously can these statements be taken if, you know, you're, you're talking about a, a strong stand against a buildup of weapons or a shipment of weapons from one country to a terrorist group, and yet you've seen it all happen already. So, But you have to put the markers down. It's very critical. They've got to keep being reminded about it because unfortunately we see that the world is not holding them accountable not for the missile launches not for the other violations which is a, a terrible mistake we do see that the Kurds by the way are are, are going after ISIS and, and playing a bigger role Peshmerga, in, in Syria and elsewhere and that despite the, the Russians having been there now for what a month and a half or more and the heavy investments and stuff it, you don't see that big change and in fact there are areas where ISIS uh, has made gains the Kurds, the important thing is that they're blocking the road from Raqqa in Syria where they train a lot of the foreign fighters, etc., to Mosul in Iraq. And the U.S. planes were aiding the, the Kurds who were, who were fighting there. 
some of these things are going to be last stands, you know, where the Azidis are fighting, where others are fighting, uh, and um, in Singal, Singal. So these are, these battles are really important, and the, and the question of what arms get in, who, what forces are are, um, are being activated, and are really playing a critical role. And that's why Washington, and that's why Washington may not have a choice, or may find it to be the best idea to send troops to Iraq and fight some of those, and help fight some of those battles. Whether it, 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 it's probably never a good idea, but it may be necessary, right. as you point out, right. to you know whether the advisors made a difference or not is certainly questionable. But if you see how the Russians propaganda, read some of their press and stuff, and they talk about Syria. They talk about it as our sacred land. That's right. the term they use. Right. They talk about now uh, in imperialistic terms, uh, and it's replaced the Ukraine, which was seen as a humanitarian appeal. This is being seen as a sacred violation, uh, as a, as a, a, a response in, in Syria. I'm talking about right. and uh, treated very differently. That raises. For America, the stakes in this, if you see that Russia is not there just to simply keep Assad in power, and it's giving Iran supposedly a seven to eight billion dollar loan now to to uh, for its uh, um, energy industry, which will give them a, a place there, and uh, and a, a very specific agreement, by the way, that you know for the United States has to assess all of these things each time and decide where where. What is our interest? And we we believe we know. We know that it certainly doesn't lie with aiding or abetting Iran. But Iran is now talking about playing a much larger role in the region. And some of it derives from things that they assert from the United States. Does Israel advise on this? I'm not saying the prime minister. He doesn't have to do that in this meeting this week. But do they look to Israel for advice on this, what they think about the... uh uh, you know what? What's best for the U.S. to do, or that would never happen. I don't know if they look for it, but I assure you, they hear it. They do hear it. And, uh, well, this is very vital for Israel. Of course, that's why I'm asking. The, you know. the power, what forces are at play, very critical. And the fact that Iran, you saw that the Iranians again today started talking about opening embassies. You know, if America apologizes and does all the things that I mentioned before, well, who wants to open an embassy? Obviously, somebody's talking to them about opening embassies. Right. These, these are all the wrong signals. You've got to send clear cut things that that really draw the line in the sand, and that we back the Kurds, and the, and the United States is doing it, and I think that there are more positive uh, messages coming because of it. But to know that what, the, and the, the reason why I pointed out some of those things earlier is to see that we're not on the same side right. as these other forces. Right, understood. A um, couple of things about these terror attacks. The um, last Shabbos for those, uh, and I'm not close to the situation at all, I'm just, I'm, I'm, Saying this as I heard it this week, I'm not close to the situation at all. Uh, but there was a one of the victims in that uh, sniper attack on Shabbat Chayes Saran Chavron was a teenager from the United States who I hear is back in the U.S. Thank God, and uh, from what we hear is doing well, um, and that's wonderful. But apparently, uh, there was apparently there was no uh, outreach from any American official in Israel uh, to the family when again this. American citizen, a young American citizen, was the victim of a sniper attack by a terrorist. And I, I, I'm just, I, I found that to be unacceptable, as so many other people did. And I just wanted to verify with you that, in fact, it is. And that in a case like this, normally, someone from the United States government who's in Israel would reach out to the family and express something. It normally, certainly, when an American citizen is involved, right. it would be. Uh, uh, but you remember that the ambassador was with the prime minister in the United States. 
So there are other uh, staff members, but the ambassador who's been very sensitive in these areas and I think uh, seemed very positively here, um, what was not here. Yeah, I understand. I just thought the other officials could represent them. Uh, I agree. I uh, think I think it's surprising if that did not take place. Yeah, and again, that's just, I'm just going on what I heard, etc. The other thing I wanted to ask you about was this raid on the Al-Hali Hospital, which, uh, you know, the media is having a field day with, as you can imagine. I have a feeling most of the people in this audience have read about it already, uh, the Israelis raiding and uh, and the fatally shooting um, uh, one and uh, arresting another. Um, so of course the reaction is that uh, you know hospitals are safe havens. You don't you don't you don't go ahead and carry out uh, uh, um, uh, terror operations or terror quelling operations by taking people out in a hospital. I think this audience needs to know the proper response to that criticism. So tell us what you say about this news item. Look, I think it's uh, it's it's a very important issue, but a hospital that allows itself to give safe haven to terrorists, as we saw in Gaza, you remember where, sure. where rockets were being shot from in there, whether imposed on them or willingly accepted by them. And here you have a, a, somebody who was accused of being involved in a terror attack. They went in to arrest him. There was no intention of shooting anybody, but uh, a relative of his came out of, of the bathroom there and it, it started to go toward, uh, against the uh, soldiers who were there, right. and they shot him. Right. Uh, unfortunately, he died. And um, and so that was the only casualty. But they took the other one. They went to arrest him. They they had to go in on in the guise that they did because once he gets out of the hospital, they can't trace him. And you you know hospitals also have a responsibility to protect the other patients there and not to allow terrorists to find safe haven. Mm-hmm. I agree that hospitals have a special status. We don't want to see them bomb. We do you know all of the the rights and restrictions that are given to those who, who are engaging in, in hospitals or medical facilities. But there are also limits to it. Right. Most of us forget that caveat, and I think it's important that you reminded us, especially, I'm sure, it'll come up in plenty of conversations for those who want to use the opportunity to criticize the uh, IDF and those and, who... Op- and home, you know what's interesting? Look at the reaction, how everybody's focused on this, this terrorist who was captured. Right. The report came out from the Department of Justice yesterday that 23 to 27 young women are killed every year in the United States in honor killings and, and thousands worldwide. And yet you don't see outcry that innocent people are being subjected by their own families to this horrendous uh, treatment and murder. And yet here a terrorist gets caught and, and they track him down and they know that he was involved in, in this thing. We, we traced... Uh, Jihadi Joe uh, in, right. in Iraq and blew him out of the, the sky from a, by a drone. Okay, admittedly, it's not the same as going into a hospital, but but you know, terrorists hide within civilian populations, use them as cover, and this is the consequence. It's an unfortunate one. And the media regarding Joe, <laughs> you know, is, is celebrating. And you'd think, Here, and, you, and you'd think they'd be just as enthusiastic when Israel enters somewhere, even if it's a quote-unquote safe haven, and takes out a killer. You'd think. You would think. Doesn't always happen. But hey! If, if they can, if the EU can adopt the measures that they've adopted this week, here are, are, are you know, Western democracies saying to us, oh, it's not a boycott, we're just labeling explosive of a <laughs> point of interest for consumer protection, it's for all the stuff, and for American administration officials to come out 
and almost endorse it or endorse it and say, well, we don't see settlements as part of Israel. Who who were the American okay. officials? Was that the White House, the State Department, the president? Because well, well, I'm confused by the president's reaction to this. Do you understand that what he was saying regarding this labeling issue? I'm confused. Well, the, the, the statement by the spokespeople right. of both the State Department and White House was that, you know, that this is a technical guideline. Of what? A guideline to what? No, it, it's a technical guideline, not a boycott. But we know that this is a first step to a boycott. And, and coming on the anniversary of Zionism Racism Resolution, the very day, and coming on the uh, on Kristallnacht, the, the day later, and then Kristallnacht's anniversary, right. when we saw what, how, you know, technical boycotts, et cetera. <laughs> right, this that's is what a I boycott. Mean. This is the first step. Read what the Palestinians say. This is the beginning. It's to a boycott of all of Israeli products. It's not just of, uh, of the West Bank and that the, the fact that they label products, they say, well, America also requires them to say product of the West Bank. But it, but the EU goes a step further and says you have to say whether it's a Jewish product or an Arab product. Right. I mean, this is ridiculous. And tens of thousands of Palestinians will be put out of work because of it. And and if people wonder why, you know, do we care? The economic impact may be de minimis. One or two percent of the Israel's product, et cetera, et cetera, all the figures that people can read about. In, in the paper. But that's the significance goes beyond the economic to the political, psychological, the sense of isolation, this discriminatory attitude, the fact that no other area under dispute of the hundreds in the in the world is subjected to the same kind of, of discriminatory policy. Yeah, that's for sure. That's why I was frustrated when I asked what does technical guidelines mean? I don't even understand I don't even understand what that side means by that phrase. I don't even know if they know what well, it means. It's a cover, you know, it's a, yeah, I understand. A, 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 a but I, but I can't, but I can't even understand what it's a cover for. Like what what technical aspect they're they're, they're using it to cover it. Anyway. Well they're saying look it's not a law, we're not we're not banning the products. We're not saying you can't bring it in, which is true. But they're saying that they have to be be uh, labeled so that you know where they are, and then the consumer has the choice whether to buy that product or not. As well, they always have that choice. As we speak, a shooting attack this afternoon near Utniel in the South Chevron Hills. Three people wounded. Their vehicles were attacked on Route 60. Two in critical condition. One lightly wounded, and the terrorist has escaped the scene. We have that in mind. In addition. Uh, you know what happened here, uh, Crown Heights, uh, about a week ago. I think it was a week ago, maybe more. I, mean, I can't remember anymore what, one day to the next. Uh, we heard this week about an Orthodox man in Milan who was stabbed by a Muslim. Uh, you're sitting in Israel. Uh, you are uh, certainly uh, very much in tune with what's going on in Israel, and we are all concerned about what's going on in Israel, but sometimes we forget that a lot of this is being duplicated around the world. And um, while we are focused on solidarity with our brothers and sisters in Israel because of the Matzav, quote-unquote, I think it's important to remember that some of these things are happening right in our own backyard. And we should not attribute it to, to it's unrelated to the uh, issues here, just as the boycott and the, uh, the, the uh, terror that we see here these attacks are not related to settlements, are not happening in those areas, and that it has become much more of a religious war that Abbas has instituted, etc. But I will tell you that I was standing on 41st and 3rd being interviewed by CBS television outside, uh, near our offices in a place where the governor is located. Other people heavily traveled in midday 
and a guy walked up right behind me and yelled, burn the Jews. Broad daylight. And nobody stopped. Nobody cared. Nobody even reacted to it. And, you know, these attacks are not being orchestrated necessarily by, you know, it's not a central command that goes out over the Internet and says it. They are constantly instigating and, and educating them on how to carry out attacks. But the very fact that this is the way that people are giving expression and that it becomes commonplace that the, this, this kind of violence takes place is, is what is very uh, disturbing. And Malcolm, I hate to say this, I'll tiftach peh, but, I, but you'll understand what I mean. Could you imagine what the reaction would have been or would not have been if that same man behind you would have had a knife? I don't even know how people, God forbid, I don't know how people would have or would not have reacted to that. Well, I will tell you that, that I did not even have a chance to say anything, but security people called me up afterwards. They were very concerned for exactly that reason. It yeah. would have taken nothing. It was well-dressed person, not, uh, you know, completely uh, something one would not have anticipated. I mean, the good news is that we see that Americans' view of Israel remains very high. There was another couple of polls this week, in the, and it's equal to France. It's very popular. We see even in Britain that only 12% support the BDS movement, even though it, 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 that was one of the centers of origin, and um, and the, the biggest number uh, uh, opposed the boycott and, and any kind of boycott of Israel. But... What we're, what we're seeing is the undermine, uh, these, these uh, undercurrents, which are becoming more blatant, and people feel that they can act with greater uh, ease and, and freedom. Yep. And it's, it's not because law enforcement doesn't care. It's, it's something you can't capture when it's just happening, popping up in a place on a street. Yep. And, 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 know, and, and, back... and, and the model, remember, goes back to ISIS beheading people. Of course. When the knives came out. Of course. And you said we're going to be immune to it in 10 minutes. We were immune to it in 10 minutes, and now we're immune to this in 10 minutes. And um, and I said that this would become the model, that right. they would copy it. Exactly. And then we saw in a dozen countries, they started copying it because it, it's the greatest recruitment tool. The um, on, on, With the episode that you cited uh, that happened to you, I want to add two things. First of all, if you watch the videos... These knives come out real fast. No matter who's taking them out, men, women, or children, they come out real fast. And and some of them against Israeli soldiers, you know, people who are really prepared for this type of thing. And it happens very, very quickly. And the second thing is, did you see the age of some of those involved in these knifing and these stabbing attacks this week? Could you imagine 12, 13, 14 years old and they're embarking on this type of activity? And where are the parents being held to account? Yeah. There has to be some sense of responsibility. I'm not saying every parent can control what every kid does, but I think that, that if the parents knew and, and are held to account that there would be, uh, and, and that they trace where, what the source of inspiration, who was behind it, who, who talked to this kid, did they just really pull it out of thin air and all of a sudden decide because they read about it happening someplace that a 13 year old goes out and stabs a kid on a bicycle? I mean, come on, it's not. It, it, they're, they're, and the fact that uh, he might walk without going to jail yep. is there has to be punishment. There has to be people have to see a consequence for it. And, and it's a general mood in the world that has to say we're going to cut off anybody who's involved in it, anybody who supports it, anybody who who tolerates it. And <laughs> ISIS obviously is is a core center, and you know harder action against them. But when we hear some of the statements coming from other leaders where they, they talk about Israel as not being a legitimate state, where they talk about 
you know, uh, or denying Jews' rights. It, it, and you see whether the election in Turkey, which could have serious consequences, and some of the statements made by, by Erdogan, who, whether he won legitimately or not, um, <laughs> it, it spreads. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Finally, you know, you alluded to this in, in one of our earlier segments. It, it, you know, you it is so important to keep in mind that every excuse, that every a reason that's given for the violence is is completely invalid. And you'll see what I'm saying in a second. Martin Indyk, and I don't know, you, you've sort of described how you feel about how he says things publicly over the years. But okay, that notwithstanding, he, he, he says publicly that the PA president, Mahmoud Abbas, could be a partner for peace tomorrow if Israel would freeze the settlements. Number one. I mean, you know, I would say at this point, the fact that we're not, Israel essentially has frozen the settlements, especially to a large degree, but whatever. We could talk about whether that's official or not. And secondly, again, providing a reason for the enemy to go ahead and carry out attacks. And when, believe you me, if settlements were frozen officially forever, it wouldn't help anyway. Uh, number one, we had a 10-month freeze, remember? Number two, there's a, there is essentially currently freezes in place. Right. And number three, Abbas has made very clear that that is not the criteria. He's not interested in negotiations. He has turned this into a religious war, the constant charge of committing war crimes and going to the Hague and, and talking about changing the status quo in the Temple Mount. Read what some of the enlightened Palestinians, Basim Talil, Basim Ali, the others are saying about it. They don't take the same position. they saying that, that uh, Abbas is telling them it's their duty to defend the holy places and they should rise up and anybody and all the promises of the rewards for those who fall for, for defending this. And they, they um, as one of them said, you know, welcome to, to the world of the Palestinians where we lie and then we believe our own lies. And then we want the rest of the world to believe them too. Yeah. So, you know, the fact that people fall into this trap to say all of a sudden whether it's because they have to justify all their past positions or advocacy for points of view. If there was any evidence of this, the president made clear he knows there's not going to be a Palestinian state in his term. He made that clear this week again. But he also put the onus where it belongs in saying that the Palestinians are responsible for this wave of terror and for this, for the breakdown of any chance. And Netanyahu again said he supported a two-state solution, even though, you know, that politically doesn't sit well with some of the parties in his coalition. So, the you know, people can assert whatever they want, but there's no hard evidence to indicate that this is true. Boy, oh boy. Will you have a chance to see the Prime Minister during this trip? I hope to. Malcolm, online live from Jerusalem. I wish you a, a wonderful Shabbat. You know, by the way, what I said earlier is true. Your candlelighting is like right around the corner, within minutes, right? I'm busy. I'm ready to make kiddish. <laughs> Essentially, my gosh, it's so early over there. I think like 4 o'clock yeah, or so. It's in uh, 4.06, I think. 4.06, my goodness. The panic that's going through me just hearing those numbers. <laughs> <laughs> Have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak again next week. There he is, Malcolm Holmline from Jerusalem, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. We call this the Weekly Update. Weekly Update in its entirety will be available to you in the NSN app, the Archive section, Weekly Update section of the Archive section of the NSN app within minutes of now uh, in its entirety. It's Rosh Chodesh morning here at JM in the AM on this Erev Shabbos. Parshas Toldos, candle lighting at 420 on this Erev Shabbos. Very early. Be careful with that candle lighting time. 420, very early 
on this era of Shabbos. Don't forget, Matis has a great show coming up on Sunday, as usual. JM Sunday is always a great show, but I point it out especially because he has a great guest who's going to be joining him uh, on Sunday. It is going to be the author of The Debate Over Jewish Achievement, Exploring the Nature and Nurture of Human Accomplishment, author Stephen L. Pease, P-E-A-S-E, who I believe is not Jewish, by the way, is going to be Matis's guest, The Debate Over Jewish Achievement. Make sure to be tuned in to JM Sunday. I should mention now, before we go to Rabbi Yudin, uh, that coming up at JM, right after JM and AM on jmnam.org, uh, you'll hear Naomi Nachman with this week's edition of the um, of the uh, program we call Table for Two. Uh, she recorded at the Kosher Bloggers Conference and chatted with Yosef Silver of kosherwines.com, teen chef Eitan Bernath, cooking legend Noreen Galetz, Helen Goldrine from England, cookbook author Miriam Pascal, and many more. And she'll speak to all of them between 9 and 10 this morning on Table for Two right after JMNAM on jmnam.org on the NSN app, and the Naomi Show, of course, you could see in its entirety on our homepage, NahumSiegel.com. You'll see it on the homepage, NahumSiegel.com. Uh, you can watch it beginning at 9 a.m. and uh, catch all the action. Kedem presents our, our amazing Erev Shabbos music mix from uh, 10 a.m. until candle lighting time. Great programming all through the weekend. I mentioned to you JM Sunday with Matis. Keep that in mind. I want to thank the folks at Achiezer who had a Sunday afternoon webcasting from their major event last Sunday. That was amazing. Uh, the video is up on our uh, website, NahumSiegel.com, and it was really just a an unbelievable um, Elder Care Plus Expo. It was really remarkable, thanks to the folks at uh, Achiezer and uh, to the Wallman family who sponsored the broadcast. Uh, 25 minutes after the hour, this time each and every Friday, every Arab Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden spiritual leader of Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Toldos. Parshas Toldos may be divided into three parts. The first part deals with the birth of the twins of Esav and Yaakov, how Rivka, prior to their birth, is told, Ulaom Milam Yematz, that the power will fluctuate between one and the other, like a seesaw. When one is up, the other one is down, as well as the acquisition of the Bechora by Yaakov from Esau. The second part of the parsha deals with the wells that Yitzchak digs and his following in the ways of his father by calling the names of these wells the same names that his father Avraham had called them. And finally, the third and largest part of the parsha deals with the bracha that Yaakov has to surreptitiously obtain from his father Yitzchak. Now first of all, if mommy asks the child to do something for her, and at the same time daddy asks the child to do something for him, that's an interesting halachic shaila. And very possibly 
as you'll discuss with your local rabbi, very possibly even father should come first. Here, Yitzchak, we know, wants to bless Esav. Rivka wants Yaakov to get the bracha. Why is it that Yaakov listens to his mommy rather than his daddy? And the answer to that is that Unculus, the Aramaic translation in chapter 27, verse 13, and I suggest you take a look at this verse in response to Yaakov's fear, lest my father feel me, and I am smooth-skinned, and my brother is hairy, and he will see that I am an imposter, and I will then be cursed, as opposed to blessed, on the Pasuk, that Rivka says, on me shall your curse be, the Targum says, that his mother said to him, Olai Isamar Binivua. Rivka says to Yaakov, you should know I received a prophecy that you are the one to get the blessing. And hence, Yaakov goes along with his mother's scheme. And what does the Torah tell us? In verse 15, in chapter 27, that Rivka takes big day Esav Rivka takes the garments of her older son Esav, which were with her in the house, and she clothed Yaakov, her young son, with those garments. The Torah adds one word, which at first glance seems so strange. What is that one word adding? And... The word hachamudos. Rashi gives two interpretations. The first one is nikios, that these were clean, clean garments. Well, one way of understanding that is that in praise of Esav, the Medrash says that Esav, in extolling him for his honoring his father, would service Yitzchak with special garments. So maybe you can say that's what Rashi is referring to. Rashi gives a second interpretation that chamudos is related to chamod, to covet, garments that specifically belong to Nimrod, as the Medrash teaches, and Esav coveted them and took them from Nimrod. I'd like to share with you what I think is an exciting comment of the Chassam Sofer, Seychat Sadiq Levracha, in his commentary on this verse. And he says something very, very exciting. We are all familiar with the expression that clothes make the man. And Chassam Sofer teaches that in reality, yes, but in addition, man makes the clothes. What does that mean? He says that man imbues his clothes with some of his character. 
Each person has their own individual scent, and our garments acquire our scent. And in addition, says the Chassam Sofer, our character. And therefore, watch. Esav, we know, committed many major sins. At the root of his many sins was the Tenth Commandment, where the Torah says, Lo sachmod, you are not to covet, you are not to desire that which the next one has. As a result of his violating that command, he stole, he violated morality, he killed because he violated this command of wanting that which was really belonging to somebody else. Says the Chassam Sofer, Esau's garments that Rivka had in the house were saturated with the character of Losachmod, with Esau's character of coveting and taking that which wasn't his. Now that Rivka was asking the Ish MS, now that Rivka was asking the man of honesty to go and tell a lie, and even though this lie is Anochi, I am, when Yitzchak asks who it is. So Yaakov says, Anochi, I am, and then he clears his throat 20 times, <laughs> with this large pause, and then he says, Esav, Bechorecha, Esav is your firstborn, that he at least wants to mitigate the lie. The bottom line is that Yaakov is at that moment, let's call the spade a spade, fooling his father. And therefore, what Rivka was trying to do was to help Yaakov by giving him the garments on him that would help him do just that, take what is not exactly rightfully his. Because that's what these garments were used for. These garments are completely filled with the negative characteristic of losachmod. And therefore, hachamudos means that which is full of losachmod. A very, very interesting idea of the Chassam Sofer. I'd like to, my friends, take this idea and help us not only explain what appears to be that extra word in the Pasuk of Rivka, taking Esav's garments, hachamudos, but to speak about the importance of clothing, and specifically, Big Day Shabbos, specifically the garments of Shabbos. We find in the Gemara Shabbos, Kuf Yud Gimel, 113a, at the bottom, the Talmud quotes from the verse in Yeshaya, chapter 58, verse 13, which is a bit more familiar to us because it was part of the Torah of Yom Kippur morning. And there it says, in speaking regarding the Shabbat, the Torah says, V'chi badito, and you are to honor it. And says the Talmud, how should you do this? You v'chi badito, shelo yehi malbushcho shel Shabbos, your Shabbos garments should not be kimalbushcho shel chol, should not be like your weekday garments. You should have separate special garments for Shabbos. It's not only that, oh, 
these garments are special, that they are reserved for Shabbos, but according to the Chassam Sofer, these garments are imbued with the character of Shabbos. You're wearing them on Shabbos, and even if you should change off one Shabbos suit with another Shabbos suit, the fact that it's worn not during the week, it's worn exclusively on Shabbos, you're not going to wear your weekday suit on Shabbos, that gives the suit itself a very special character. But now the other way around, just as we find in the Chinuch, the Chinuch when he discusses Mitzvah 99, and Mitzvah 99 is found in Parshas Tetzaveh, where the Torah speaks about the special garments of the Kohen. And unless the Kohen donned his garments, he was considered like a czar. With the officiated without his garments, he was like a non-Kohen doing the officiating. If you listen to the golden words of the Chinuch, he says so powerfully that Ha'adam... Nifal lefi pu'ulosav. Man is influenced by his actions. What does that mean? It means that when you do a certain actions, then it has an effect upon you. You're wearing these special clothing on Shabbos is a very powerful, not just honor and reverence for the Shabbos, but it's a reminder to you of the Shabbos. In other words, very simply, we are to be, as the Pasuk says, Vishamru B'nai Yisrael as the Shabbos. We are to guard the Shabbos by reminding ourselves that, oh, today is Shabbos, I can't turn on the light, I can't, I can't, I have to be careful, I am to conduct myself in a special way. And the garments are another means of keeping me in line. But take it a little bit stronger. A policeman, when he puts on his garments, a soldier, when he puts on his uniform, the nurse, each person, when they put on their special garments, it is mechayev them. It obligates them to whatever cause that they are identified with, with that garment, so too our wearing Big Day Shabbos reminds us of our obligation to the Shabbos. And the idea is as follows, this v'chibadito, this honoring the Shabbos, is not just when I go to the synagogue, and it's not just when I eat my meals, but it's for the entire 25 hours of Shabbos. And unfortunately, there are those that comes Shabbos afternoon, and all of a sudden we go into a more relaxed mode, whereby our Shabbos clothes come off and a more relaxed attire resembling certainly even if it's your casual wear of Sunday or any other time, there's no such thing as a casual wear on Shabbos. Shabbos is not casual. Shabbos is the time when the Jew is literally before God 25 hours and therefore, wow, being in His presence is literally of me. I am. When I go to a wedding, I don't dress casually. When I'm in the presence of the Shekhinah, when I'm in the presence of God, then very simply, I am to 
act appropriately, and that is what the big day Shabbos are. Now, very, very interestingly, let's go back to Esav. Just as Esav and the first opinion of Rashi, Nikios, that these garments were clean, and we find in the Medrash, the Medrash teaches us that when Esav says, Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel, when I honored my father and I had to prepare, let's say, a meal for him, I wouldn't necessarily dress up in my best, said Reb Shimon ben Gamliel, Anisha Shimashti es Abba, Bibgadim Luchlachim. I might wear perhaps even my jeans or whatever to prepare my meal or to clean his house. But Asaf says, no, when I literally serviced my father, I would service with big day malchus, with royalty, understanding the privilege it is to do that for one's father. Continues the Mesilas Yesharim in chapter 19. Listen carefully. In the chilek of Chasidus, listen to what he says so beautifully. In Cain lebasar v'dam, if this is true, therefore for a mortal man, kavuchomer all the more so the melech malchei hamlachim hakadosh baruch all the more so for our being in the presence of God that we are to realize how important yes our clothing is. This is true for Shabbos. And this is true for the other days of the week as well, in terms of how we dress ourselves, that we dress in a more modest way. This too is indicative of our being B'nai Malachim. And so the Chassam Sofer teaches us such a powerful idea. Yes, how you dress does reflect as to who you are. And when you Quote, dress down on Shabbos afternoon consciously or subconsciously. It is a diminution in the honor and reverence of the Shabbos. I pray we'll take the lesson of this Chassam Sofer to heart and realize the privilege of being in our Shabbos clothes for the full 25 hours. Shabbat Shalom to all. He sent him hunting on this day. Isaac would then dine with his oldest son. Share before his life was done. But Rivka overheard that part. Rivka said, Take the bracha, he can go to anybody else. Take this now to your father.
not my name. Now you must go. Shlakapella, Rivka said, take the bracha. Just like Rabbi Yudin discussed here at JM and the AM. Shlakapella, Shlakrock, Lenny Solomon, of course, in a Friday morning broadcast. Rosh Chodesh morning here at JM and the AM on this Arab Shabbos Parsha's Toldos. Candle lighting at 420, very early. Candle lighting 420 on this Arab Shabbos. Got a uh, an email. I, I didn't even realize. And it's so interesting that Rabbi Yudin chose this week to speak about covered Shabbos and uh, how to be proper on Shabbos, etc. Um, I did not realize that this custom that we used to announce on a regular basis on um, on the on the air is still. No, I just gotta find it. I didn't realize this custom is still happening in Brooklyn, New York every year. Uh, a Shabbos parade. Literally a Shabbos parade. People get together and they demonstrate through, I guess, what we would call, um, you know, walking through the streets and peacefully wishing people good Shabbos. They demonstrate the beauty of Shabbos. They call it a Shabbos parade. I don't know why I can't find it here. Uh, I had seen it yesterday, and I thought that I had it right here. But anyway, uh, it does happen in Brooklyn, New York, still, every year. And um, if I find the... Uh, oh, here it is. Here it is. Imagine that. Imagine that. A few decades ago, Shabbos observance was a major test in the U.S. because of the difficulty of finding a livelihood that one would not have to compromise for. Today, the test is almost non-existent in major Jewish communities. Jewish-owned stores and businesses are closed. Still, there are some that are open on Shabbos. To address this reality and spread the message of Kedusha Shabbos, the Vad Shmira Shabbos promotes the Mitzvah Shmira Shabbos, holding its annual Shabbos parade along Kings Highway in Flatbush. This Shabbos starts at Ocean Parkway and Kings Highway at 1145, proceeds up Kings Highway to Ocean Avenue, and uh, a choir of local yeshiva children participate, singing Shabbos Nagunim to inspire passers-by. Local Rabbanim will be speaking. And it is a peaceful, wonderful way just to spread the word of how beautiful Shabbos is. And I think in the past, people who have seen it, store owners who have seen it and know about their own heritage, have made more of a commitment towards Shabbos. So, yashikach um, to those. I'm glad we got that on the air in terms of that announcement. I, it's been a very, very... Uh, ama- very amazing. It's been an incredible week here at JM and the AM in front of Nahum Siegel Network, and uh, most uh, prominently so, of course, because of the uh, constant discussion that we've had this week about the brand new part of the Jewish Unity Initiative, something I've taken very seriously for over 30 years. 
that has been introduced this week. And, and I'm, I'm going to dedicate this morning's announcement to uh, Miriam L. Wallach, who I'm sure is very upset already that I'm doing that. Uh, but she has, uh, uh, more than anybody else, organized and spearheaded this effort uh, to bring our message of uh, Jewish unity to Europe. And as I said earlier, and I emphasized on Monday when we made the announcement about what we're doing, Hanukkah 5776, I said that we are reaffirming our decades-long commitment to Jewish unity, something I think we have done very well over here. We have certainly demonstrated to communities outside of the New York, New Jersey area that there are those who care when there are those who are in need. And certainly with Israel, whether it's a an Aliyah discussion or whether it's a, um, a discussion about what is... Uh, happening on the ground in Israel to our brothers and sisters. Remember, our phrase, I thought of this the other day, our phrase that ends this show, not ends, but it's almost at the end of every show, came out of the first intifada. That's when we started doing it every single day. And I think we've done a good job running to Israel whenever we can to broadcast from there, give everybody around the world a feeling of what's happening there. Uh, rem- reminding everyone there that the collective Jewish heart is with them in both pain and happiness, pain and celebration. And now, um, as Jews around the world face challenging times, every community its own unique challenges, uh, we are going to Paris, and um, it, our radio shows will surround, on Wednesday morning and Thursday morning of Hanukkah, will surround an evening that will highlight the spirit of togetherness. And we spoke... Uh, on the air uh, this week with uh, Ohad, who has been such an important part, and will be there that night, of course, in the beautiful, great synagogue of uh, of Paris on that Wednesday night of Hanukkah. And uh, we introduced this concept with uh, Richard Joel, the president of Yeshiva University, who has graciously agreed to escort us, and we can escort him to this fabulous event Um I was thinking of who, which Jewish leader in this country would be best to travel with and to bring this message that I am trying to bring to Europe. Who would best be? And I believe it's Richard Joel, the president of Yeshiva University. He'll be with us, Bezrat Hashem. We spoke with him earlier in the week. Yesterday we had an opportunity to speak with Mark Zamek, who's going to be producing our actual radio shows Wednesday and Thursday as we... Uh, Give you a uh, a taste of what the uh, of what the Jewish community of Paris, France, is all about. And I was going to withhold making any further announcements today. However, I was encouraged to make this announcement today, and I really, really, really was seriously considering up until a few minutes ago to not make this announcement until next week, when this individual will hopefully join me on the air. And express the the desire and the uh, enthusiasm that he has to participate in this event in the great synagogue of Paris, a night of Jewish unity. Let there be light, a night of Jewish unity. Uh, we have confirmed, as of yesterday, we have confirmed that the person who I thought with this musical message most belongs in Paris that night. Somebody who, to everybody in the Jewish world, in my opinion, to everybody, whether they want to admit it or not, everybody in the Jewish world, he has had some type of musical impact and really, really symbolizes Israel, the Jewish people, in many ways Jewish unity um, and togetherness and appeals to people across the board. Um, 
we were hoping and hoping that he would agree to join us in Paris that night. And he has agreed to join us in Paris that night, Wednesday, the 9th of December. And it is with great enthusiasm and really tremendous emotion, frankly, that I announce to this audience that Yehoram Gaon, the legendary Yehoram Gaon, someone who, again, means so much to so many people around the world and who has had such an important musical influence on so many people in the Jewish world, will be joining us in Paris to sing, to celebrate Hanukkah on the fourth night of Hanukkah in the great synagogue of Paris. I don't know how else I could have wished for this night to come together than with the right people on stage and with the right messages and with this effort that so many people out there are so enthusiastic about to show our togetherness with a major Jewish community in Europe and to celebrate their Jewish community with them. Uh, this is going to be, in my opinion, walking into this project, we felt that we are walking into a historic occasion. This has grown in the last few weeks from something that was a a um, a little bud, a seedling of an idea and of a plan to something that has become gargantuan and something that I believe is going to be viewed by the entire Jewish world with tremendous emotion and with great enthusiasm. Yoram Gaon will be with us Wednesday night, the 9th of December, on the 4th night of Hanukkah, making sure there's light and being part of the concert of Jewish unity in the great synagogue of Paris. Plenty more details coming up. He, Bezrat Hashem, will join us at some point next week here at JM in the AM. It's Erev Shabbos Parshas Toldos with candle lighting at 420. 420 is candle lighting time. We go to our Facebook update page and, and, uh, I could tell you that, um, that coming up at nine o'clock, Naomi Nachman has a phenomenal show all set. Table for two from the Kosher Bloggers Conference with Yosef Silver of kosherwines.com, teen chef Eitan Bernath, cooking legend Noreen Gillets, and Helene Goldrine from England, cookbook author Miriam Pascal as well, all between 9 and 10. The video is up at NahumSiegel.com on the homepage. You can go and watch it, and you could watch and hear Naomi at jmnam.org and, of course, on the NSN app. Uh, lots of events happening this weekend. Check out our community calendar. I do want to mention that the... Uh, Presentation by Dr. Ephraim Kannerfogel at the Talmud Torah of Flatbush on the topic of anti-Semitism from Talmudic times to the 20th century and beyond. Happens tomorrow night at 8.15 at the Talmud Torah of Flatbush on Coney Island Avenue. MJE presents the annual Ruth Wilde's uh, Memorial Lecture. That's happening November the 14th, Saturday night, tomorrow night at Ramaz with Michael Oren as the uh, guest speaker. And um, that happens tomorrow night at Ramaz. On the Upper East Side of Manhattan. And Mazal Tov to all the honorees at the Amuna dinner that happens tomorrow night in Manhattan. Mazal Tov, Amuna.org for information. The Cantorial Classics, the Congregation Renat Israel, uh, happens on West Englewood Avenue beginning at uh, 8 p.m. tomorrow night with Chazen Yanki Lemmer and Chazen Yaakov Motzen. 
information at uh, at renot.org slash concert. Check out our community calendar online. Lots of stuff there. And don't forget that Matis on JM Sunday, Matis on JM Sunday is going to be speaking with an author on a very interesting topic. The topic is the debate over Jewish achievement, exploring the nature and nurture of human accomplishment. Author Stephen Pease, the author of that book, is going to be joining Matis during JM Sunday this coming Sunday. Make sure to be tuned in. Time to say good Shabbos after a remarkable and wonderful week on a Rosh Chodesh morning at JM in the AM.
Yisrael, Yisrael, and Achim Achem, our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Herman listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey, around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. Wraps up an amazing week for us here at JMNAM. Thank you so much for tuning in. Plenty more starting Monday morning at 6 a.m. Enjoy JM Sunday with Matas. He's had great guest coming up uh, in the 8 o'clock hour on Sunday. You'll hear it on jmnam.org and on the NSN app, of course. And um, make sure to be tuned in right now because Naomi Nachman is next with an amazing table for two brand new fresh program. And of course, Kedem presents our incredible Arab Shabbos music mix all the way until candle lighting time. Have a fabulous Shabbos, wonderful weekend. Till Monday morning, Alchem Siegel reminding you, remember to pass, live the present, and trust the future.